Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting show. I've got Sheena Asmendang, and she's a diverse and got a comprehensive background, and that's really what sets her apart and provides a solid foundation for her work as a thought leader in personal development. In 2019, she published an Amazon bestseller, Path of Emergence, From Loss to Triumph, and I bet there's a good story behind that book. But Sheena is also a mindset coach, a corporate trainer, and a speaker. She she has over 20 years of working with many clients, and she's worked with a lot of the companies that have been on the Forbes list of best companies to work for, helping their leaders improve effectiveness to accelerate the growth of their teams and ventures with her executive and personal development programs. She's appeared on numerous TV, radio station, and podcasts. And she's a leading expert in the wellness industry. She was once deemed the coaching expert by Miami's iHeartRadio's Y100 station for her weekly talk show, Hump Day Therapy, where she coached couples in toxic relationships. Her methodology combines neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, hypnotherapy, and mindset coaching. When working with victims of abuse, trauma, and addictions, she's passionate about social causes related to human and civil rights and prison reform. She speaks on a lot of topics around resilience, truth, and and change. Sheena, thanks so much for being with me today. Lee, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Well, you know, it's interesting because... I always think there's a story behind every book that's written. I know there was a story behind Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. So let me ask about you. What motivated you to write the the book? That's a great question. I think more than anything, the the resilience uh, of being able to be confronted with one of life's adversities and uh, being pretty much stripped from everything and having the ability to rely on that muscle or that ability to bounce back from those difficult times. Well, it sounds like we have something in in common. We both learn the hard way. <laughs> sure do. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, resilience is something that when everything is going my way, I my resilience is so strong, but when everything's not, when I hit that bump in the road, I can tell my resilience, you know, my ability to pick myself up again and get right back out there, it's impacted. And it's something that I saw a lot of in the pandemic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I always say that resilience is like a muscle. And like any muscle, right, the more we use it, then the stronger it gets. And so I think that, you know, it's like a skill set where you you get to learn that it is there, it is useful, it is helpful, and it really does help us in, in being able to get back on our feet. Well, absolutely, it's a skill set. You know, so many people feel like, oh, it's either got it or you don't. 
I've had people tell me that. Well, Lee, you either got it or you don't. And my response to that is, no, you can either get it or you don't. It's your choice. But it is a skill set that can be developed. So for you, what's the first step if you have somebody that, that comes to you and says, you know, I really need to develop resilience? What's the first step you do? You know, the first thing I tell them is that it really is an adaptive mode of thinking. So it's something that we develop gradually alongside different types of techniques, right, that really help us in improving our initial response to something that is challenging or something that we can consider to be bad or unwanted. So I would say, you know, taking that into consideration, because like any skill, it does take time. So it's not one of those things where, you know, I want to be more resilient. You go through a situation and you immediately come out of it resilient. No, it, it's really kind of building on that and, um, you know, looking at the silver linings. I always say look at the silver lining from every situation. I think that's part of what helps us to become more resilient uh, because we're looking at a situation objectively versus subjectively. Well, for me, I talk a lot about with my clients that resilience has a lot to do with emotional regulation because when we can keep ourselves regulated emotionally, we're just stronger. We're less reactive. We're less impulsive. We're stronger in our decision-making skills. We're stronger with our critical thinking skills. Emotions, they're wonderful. Couldn't live without them, but they can get in the way sometimes. I agree. I agree. Emotional regulation gives us that opportunity to not just become aware, but also the ability to, to regulate our emotions, like you said. Well, and it ties into coping, too, because a lot of people, when I ask them, so when things don't go your way, what do you do? Uh, why do you think I'm here? <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's that's a good coping strategy to reach out and get some assistance, no doubt. But the goal is to help people develop their own coping strategies. And what's your most basic strategy that you use with people to build resilience? So I'd say and, and emotional regulation is definitely part of it. Um, it's something that I like to teach them because it really helps them to manage, as we know, redirect. And more than anything, reframe. So I'm really big on mindset. And, you know, I always tell people, listen, mindset is not about one moment you're thinking one way and simply because you're intentional about the way you're thinking or what you're thinking about, it's going to change. It's, it's also a process like everything else. So I, I always try to teach them that as, as long as their mindset is intentional and their cognizance on the things that they want to change and how they want to deal with challenges and adversity, they, you know, they can choose, they can consciously choose to look at things from a different perspective. You know, I always say that what, what happens to us is not necessarily what affects us. A lot of people are doing it. Like, what do you mean? If you go through a traumatic situation, you're going to end up being affected by it. But that's not necessarily true, as we know. Because it's very perceptual. Um, some people may go through the same exact experience and they will inevitably end up with very different results, personal results, right? Um, and so I always say it has more to do with the way that we choose to um, process, to digest the situation, 
the way that we, you know, we start putting those labels. And so that's why I, I strongly believe it's not what happens to us, but it's the way that we choose to, to go through an experience or what we take from it. Well, and, and, you know, it's the way that we choose to think about it. And we all have those self-defeating thoughts, those little ants, those automatic negative thoughts. And they go through our heads so fast and furious, we don't even know they were there. It's just all of a sudden I'm angry or I'm hurt or I'm overwhelmed. And those self-defeating thoughts it certainly get in the way. I mean, I used to have the worst case of the shoulds. The shoulds, you know, and the shoulds, when they start, they turn into musts. And the shoulds and the musts have these friends, these two friends, shame and blame. And when they would bring those two out, it's like, okay, you guys got to go. And so I turned those shoulds into coulds. And I found that to be a, very, a lot more helpful in my thought process. Instead of saying, well, you should do that. It's your fault, Lee. You didn't do it. I would say, you know, you could do that. And if you did it, this would happen. That's good. This would happen. Eh, that's okay. This would happen. That's good. Oh, I'll do it. So, you know, I have found those self-defeating thoughts. Once you can catch those ants and then you can become in control of those thoughts and that will help you move forward. I agree. I agree. And thank you for sharing that because I think that, you know, those are very relatable things to, to just about everyone. Um, I've also had, it's been always a challenge. You know, there's, there's that part of me, just like you, you mentioned where it's, you know, well, maybe I should do this and, you know, well, maybe I could do this. And so it's really about being mindful. I think mindful awareness is key and, and it's almost kind of like what I call that cognitive reappraisal right, which is kind of altering the way that we think, and also being more adaptable, uh, being adaptable to, to circumstances and things that are not in our control, and just being able to just control, like you said, the way we think, the way we respond to certain things, and being compassionate towards ourselves along the way. Well, you know, and you mentioned mindfulness, and I think that that's something that will help everybody. I have clients that have a, a little bit of trouble getting to mindfulness. So we start with being grateful. And what are three things that you're grateful for every day? And it's okay if you're grateful for the same three things two days in a row. That's That just means you're really grateful. And, and I think once I can help people shift their focus to more gratitude and thankfulness, that, that to speak to what you're talking about with reframing, that opens the door for that mind to operate on a different level. I agree. I agree. And mindfulness is so powerful, as we know, because it also helps us to, to sort of clear the clutter in our minds and sometimes gently redirect our wondering minds and staying more in the present. So it's nice. It teaches us to also go with the flow. Well, I think that for a lot of people, you know, when you say go with the flow, they think that means, okay, just sit down, be quiet. And and for me, go with the flow means go with how you're feeling. Listen, pay attention to what you're experiencing. Yeah. You know, use your observation skills. The, the strongest power I have personally is my observation skills. You know, pay attention to what's going on and and not only look. But listen, what do I hear? Oh, my gosh. What do I smell? 
don't know what's going on in the environment. And that has helped me to really personally be able to take turn my brain on to get my game on. I agree. I agree with you. Especially, you know, when we go with our flow, we it's like you said, it's it's really more about going with those inner thoughts, those emotions, even our bodily sensations. And and doing so from a space where there's no real judgment, where we're not criticizing. And and it's uh it's definitely something that's that's very helpful. I you know, for me it's always been a tool. And like any tool, right? The more we use it, well, the better we get at it. Practice makes perfect, right? Yeah, you know, I always say it's funny you say that because I I was speaking at a school not so long ago, and um, it was a bunch of kids. They were in the middle middle school, um, and we were talking about just that about practice making perfect. And I said, you know, how about if we change that and we say practice makes improvement, right? So that way we don't have to stress about, uh, you know, being in this constant pursuit of perfection that we know doesn't really exist. So the kids looked at me and they actually liked it. They were like, you know, I like that better. And and it's funny because they're so young and, and it's almost like, you know, they got it. And, and so that's what reminded me of when you said practice makes perfect. I always say, you know, about practice makes improvement. You know, the more we practice, I the love more we that. Improve, right? The more we grow, the better we get at things. Well, because you and I both know there is no perfect. And part of that comes with with time and knowledge and experience. But perfect doesn't exist. And I, I love that. Practice makes improvement. That's such an, uh, a saying I've heard all my life. But I've got a new one. Practice makes improvement. <laughs> it sure does. Well, when you're, you know, when you're working, working with speaking to kids, do you have a different approach than you would if you were working with a corporate group of adults? Certainly. I think that the beauty of being a child is still that innocence um, and also a very creative mind. Kids are, as we know, they're very imaginative and it's always lovely to work with them or to come and speak when I'm asked to speak at a school um, I'm always very honored to do that because, you know, it gives me an opportunity to plant those seeds. And, and I hope that if anything, even if it's just one person in the group, if I can at least leave them with something, I, I try to really reiterate how important it is for us to love ourselves and that self-love. Uh, you know, I always tell them how uh, we, we can't give from an empty cup. And I try to explain to them that even when we want to help others and we want to be there for others and we want to be there for our friends and we want to be there for our mom and dad and, you know, sister, we always have to start with ourselves first. And that that's not selfish to do that, but it's really coming from a space of self-love. So it is a different approach. Because I think what happens is that at a certain age, as we all know, especially when they get into those teenage years and they're trying to find themselves, that they're so easily influenced. And now with social media and technology, even more so, it's important for, for kids to, to learn that they, they can't lose that essence of loving themselves and putting themselves first. Well, and I think self-love ties into self-care. 
because you've got we as as individuals all need to be able to take care of ourselves. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. And that self-care is the foundation that you build on for resilience. Absolutely. It all starts there. I think that the more you learn early on the importance of that self-care, self-love component, then it does help. It does facilitate in building that resilience muscle and really developing that skill. You know, and I think so many times I work with the, at the Brain Performance Center, we see a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. And that means one thing to me. I can sum that up in one word, and that's fear. That's, that's you know, just being afraid. And I, it's so interesting. I, have a, I was talking with a colleague, and we were talking about fear. And she said, well, you know what fear stands for? And I'm like, no, forget everything and run. And I said, that's great. Because when you're in that state of fear, that's exactly what you want to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I, I, I when I work with with my clients and and I try to, you know, I try to, I guess in some way, uh, direct them to consider that you're absolutely right. We either come from fear or we come from love. You know, at the end of the day, it's a choice. And I know it's, it may sound easy to make. It's not, because if not, everyone would choose to obviously come from, from love. Um, but that's just it. I tell them that even though there are many other emotions, that all emotions really stem from just those two main emotions. And so a lot of times when we're trying to work even with anxiety or we're working with depression or anger, um, doubt, worry, I always tell them, listen, why don't you just go back to that primordial emotion, which is really fear, work on your fear, learn to manage your fear, learn to take control of your fear, and that just might change everything else. Absolutely. Because with fear, I mean, that equals shame, and shame is a very negative place to be. And it's a bit very negative energy to have around yourself. And it's, you know, it's a true fact. It's been proven that with positive psychology, every day you have three times more positive events in your life than you do negative. But what does the brain hold on to? That one negative. And this is the same brain that we had, you know, back in the caveman days when you walked out of that cave and it was eat or be eaten. So this brain, that right hemisphere, two-thirds of the cells are always scanning for danger. So it's easy to let that, you know, that danger, danger, to pick up on that danger. And it's a lot harder to find the positive. Is there some techniques or tips that you share with your clients on how to find the positive? Absolutely. And, you know, it's like everything. Um, it's It's a developmental thing where... We, you know, and, and having or taking in, into consideration that when you're trying to live a more positive life, you also have to be very realistic about the approach because I do believe in positivity. Um, and I think that a lot of times, you know, because we, we're so surrounded by this constant, um, I guess, you know, be more positive, do affirmations or practice affirmations. And, you know, and yes, all of those things are wonderful. And I, and I wholeheartedly believe in them. I think there has to be a balance where people have to also be given permission to 
to feel, um, you know, feel the pain if they're experiencing pain. Feel the anger, sit with the anger, give anger a voice, um, equally to fear and whatnot. And I think that that's one of the best ways to, to be able to almost like travel lightly in that pursuit of being a more positive person, more optimistic person, and looking for those silver linings and learning how to look at life and situations more objectively and and look at them looking at them from the perspective that everything is temporary it really is even the most difficult situations that we go through it, everything has a beginning and an end i mean our lives right as human beings have a beginning and an end so everything has a beginning and an end and you know i always tell i always tell my clients uh, you know, we got to learn to to be more present and, and the, you know, the stuff in the past that you went through, it, it is important, but also, you know, don't let that define you. Our stories should not define us. I, I really believe that a lot of times we hold on to the past because we hold on to the stories. And, you know, I say that the stories are there as a guide, They're, they teach us the lessons, but we don't have to be defined by them. No, we don't. But, you know, it's so interesting because the way that the brain processes information is it turns it into a story. And a lot of times we don't have all the the information we need to complete that story, but the brain will just pull it from somewhere and stick it in the hole. And then when we stop and ask ourselves, is that really the way that it happened? No. Is that really what happened? No. And even if it is, your point is so well taken. That does not define you. You can rewrite your story any day of the week. But it's harder, you know, it's a lot harder to challenge that because let's just stay in our comfort zone. And you know as well as I do, what happens in your comfort zone? Oh, yeah, there's no growth. We get stuck. It's comfortable, but it's not, it's not realistically comfortable and it's not authentically comfortable. It's actually extremely uncomfortable is what I try to tell people. You know, the more we, we want to stay where we're at, then the more stagnant I think we become as people, as humans. And, you know, then all of those other emotions that are there, like you mentioned, like shame and even guilt and all those other emotions that derive from fear they become stronger. They become more prominent. Well, and I think that that people, the word fear has such a negative connotation. You know, people say, I'm not afraid of that. And then when you start talking with them, they'll say, you know what? I think I am a little bit afraid. So it's just accepting yourself for where you are and open heart, open mind to change what you want to change. And to me, it all starts with setting goals. Oh, yeah. Definitely goals give us a sense of direction. And, you know, the more motivated we are to reaching the goals, the more inspired we become. And uh, I think overall, the more meaningful our lives become, right, And, and purposeful. Well, that's what we all, that's what we're all need. We need a reason to get up. We need a reason to get out and to be engaged and participate in life. And that's where we all need to add value. And we all can. That's the amazing part. I agree. I think uh, we all add value. Um, 
almost like different shades of value. Um, and so we, but we all equally add value, whether it is, you know, we contribute through our own stories, our own lessons, and hopefully others can learn from that. Or, you know, just simply in, in our, in our human existence. And, and being able to be present and and sharing our love and sharing ourselves, there, there's tremendous value, tremendous value in all of it. Well, sometimes just showing up can make such a difference for somebody. Wow, you actually came to watch me perform, you know. I'm so surprised to see you. Well, of course I want to, I came to see you. And when I say perform, that could be they're speaking somewhere. That could be they're in a high school band, you know, a, a lot of different things. We've got about three minutes left before we take a break. And we've touched on resilience a number of different ways. What are the takeaways that you would like our listeners to have from the first half of the show? I would say the biggest takeaway is start with yourself, fill your cup first, and make sure that you are taking care of you, so practicing a lot of that self-care, and be, be flexible with your own self, be flexible with your growth, be patient, be kind, especially if you're going through a challenging moment. And remember that resilience is just that. It's, it's a skill. It's a muscle. Um, and the more you intentionally choose to look at your, your experiences from a sober lining perspective, the more, more opportunity you have to grow. Well, I think those are, those are great points. And I think that sometimes I can't tell you how many times I get asked the question at the Brain Performance Center, what part of the brain's in charge of motivation? Could you turn that on? And motivation comes from within. And when you're motivated, you're paying attention to what's going on around you. Your, your thoughts are full of your beliefs and your values and because motivation, that's your reason. That's why you do what you do. And that's the hard part people have, I think, is, is really trying to put their finger on, why do I do what I do? But if you're focused on your strengths, although weaknesses play a role, too, you know, you can, you can learn a lot from weaknesses. But at the same time, I encourage people to build on the strengths that they have because strengths will, will – if you don't use them, you'll lose them. And that's, um, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, so in, yeah. in the last few seconds that we have left, I would, you know, I really, when I think about resilience, I think about my power to overcome the uncertainty. Is there a sentence that you would use to define resilience? I would say... I would say resilience is a power skill that teaches us to adapt, persevere, and overcome is what I would say. I like that. I like that a lot. And I like the fact that we both recognize it, that it is a power. And sometimes it's just the power of the universe. So stay with us. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll learn more. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. ever afraid to order something at a restaurant because you don't know how to pronounce it? Fox News reported that many people mispronounce common items while ordering. Some of those words that give people trouble are bruschetta, those yummy little slices of bread with chopped tomato, garlic, and olive oil. Chipotle, the pungent red pepper often pickled and eaten as an appetizer or added to meat and stews. Beignet, which is sort of a French donut. And believe it or not, there is no X in espresso. If you ever go into a restaurant and see Redonkadonk on the menu, that's a grilled burger with ham, bacon, cheese, egg, and spam inside two grilled cheese sandwiches made with extra thick Texas toast-style bread. Try it. It's delicious. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for staying with us. And what we've been talking about is resilience and how that sometimes in order to really have growth, you've got to get outside of your comfort zones. And that can be, it's so easy just to stay right in your comfort zone because then you don't have to be afraid of failure you know you're good right where you are. But, you know, Sheena, tell us more about how getting out of our comfort zones can benefit us. Yes. So it's, that always reminds me of a quote by Neil Donald Walsh. And uh, I, I read several of his books, Conversations with God, uh, many years ago. And it's life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I truly believe that because for me, it's, it's a reminder that whatever that we're searching for, whatever that may be, it's just outside of our comfort zone, right? And kind of peeking over that new horizon. We just have to get out of our own way. And a lot of times we get in our own way um, and we stay very still because we're afraid. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of what's unexpected. We don't know, um, you know, the things that are unknown. And, and really, it's the moment we decide to just take action. We're already en route to whatever it is that we want to achieve. Well, and one of the things that I use to help people step out of that comfort zone is visualization. And, you know, it's great to visualize going to that happy place and where are you and what do you hear? Or if you're at the beach, do you hear the waves coming in and 
what do you smell? And, and, and I use visualization that way too, but I also use visualization as a way for people to see the challenges that, that are keeping them in their comfort zone. And sometimes that makes them, they, they can, when they really look at them that way, they can see them as a chance to grow. Yes, I, I agree with you, Lee. And, and I definitely have been a huge advocate for many, many years, several decades now, as a matter of fact. Um, I was introduced about 25 years ago to creative visualization. I remember reading a book by Shakti Gawain. It was maybe one of the very first books that was presented to me about visualization and guided imagery and whatnot. But it, it really does help a lot when it comes to um, kind of getting ourselves ready to get out of our comfort zone, because as you know, our minds can't distinguish reality from imagination. Like the mind doesn't know how to do that. And so by visualizing certain things and and that making a connection to our own bodily sensations, it starts to help us to almost get used to this new reality or this new thing we're about to do or try. So it does help to set the stage. And, and sometimes it's the hardest part's taking that first step. And however, we can get people to start moving to take that first step. I find that it's, and even if that first step is just, you know, working with them on their breathing to kind of take them when they, when you talk to them, you can see, you can see those shoulders come up around their ears. You can see that it's causing stress in their body and just something as simple as let's, let's practice some deep breathing and once you release that stress, then people are like, okay, you know, maybe maybe it is time to do that. How long do you typically feel that it takes people to re- to really come out of the comfort zone if the, when they're ready? So you know, it, I think it varies. It's um, a matter of sometimes we have to reach rock bottom, right? <laughs> sometimes we just oh, yeah. fall and scrape our knees to realize it's not working and finally make that decision. You know, and other times that's not necessarily what's required. Um, sometimes somewhere in the middle, we just say, listen, I, you know what, I'm changing the way I've been doing things and I'm starting as of now. So I think it varies because it's very dependent on where we are. I think where we are is very important in terms of where we are in life and um, sometimes how desperate we are. So, you know, sometimes people fall and scrape their knees and bruise themselves and it's, they still, they still won't be motivated. But I, I think practice is everything. Like we talked about earlier, about practice makes improvement. The more we work towards getting out of our comfort zone, the more we give ourselves permission that it's, you know, it's time because where we're at simply just is not serving us. It's not working. I think the faster we get there. Well, and I think, you know, you can start on a, you can just start with your everyday life. Do small daily activities that you normally wouldn't do. I agree. I, I've even recommended to clients sometimes, you know, like, what does your day typically look like? Like, you get up, what do you do? And where do you go? And then, you know, what's your drive to work like? And I've even recommended, what if you start doing that differently? Like, Instead of getting up at six in the morning every day, what if you get up at five and you journal? Or what if you get up at five and you meditate or you do some box breathing? And instead of taking the same route to work that you've always taken for years, 
what if, just what if, if you decide to go a different route, more of a scenic route? And so even those small steps start to disrupt the way that we're doing things, but in a, in a good way, right? It's kind of like a positive disruption. Absolutely. I mean, just listen to a different type of music while you're driving to work and you find, wow, that put me in a really different mood. Or I'll tell a lot of clients, you know, that I have a couple of clients that love to cook. Have you ever cooked Thai food? You know, how about trying to cook some Thai food or, or some food that you've never tried to cook before? It doesn't have to be daring. It doesn't have to be grandiose. I agree. It doesn't have to be. It could be something as simple as, have you ever considered taking a painting class or an art class or even a, you know, a pottery making class? Something as simple as that. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything that really requires too much work, too much effort, too much commitment. But one can still find enjoyment in changing things and getting out of your comfort zone. Well, I love that because, you know, I'll tell people every day you should learn something new. Every single day, try to learn something new or, or engage in something new, paint or find something that you've always wanted to do and go do it. Um, I did that. I decided for years I did not want to learn how to play golf. I did not want to learn how to play golf. I kept saying that over and over. And finally, I decided I did. And on the days that I do well, I still have that feeling. On the days I don't do well, I go back. Oh, I don't want to learn how to play golf. But not everything has to be as humbling as golf. Absolutely. I agree. It could be anything. Even like you mentioned before, maybe just trying a different meal, maybe cooking something different that you normally don't cook. Some, some type of different food, Thai, sushi, right? Anything. Yeah, it's just trying trying new experiences. And sometimes you can even pick a buddy to go with you and, and experience that with you. Um, it, it doesn't have to just be you all by yourself doing it. I agree. And, so and, I think, and I think something that's really importantly to take into consideration is that a lot of times when we try something, it doesn't mean that it's going to be 100% successful as we would like it to be. You can try a, a cooking something different, and it may end up being not as successful as you wanted it to be, but it's, it's really about the journey, the process, the experience, and knowing that you can try again at another time, and maybe, just maybe, it'll be better next time. You know, I always find it so interesting because different people take different approaches, and I've been working with one client on building resistance. And what she does is she gives herself an ultimatum. If you don't try, you know, what it is, what whether it's painting or cooking or a dance gym, whatever it is, if you don't try that, then, you, you know, you're not going to have any coffee for a month. I'm like, wow, if that That's motivates you, yeah, <laughs> if that motivates you, um, I respond more to positive reinforcement. <laughs> But, but my point with that is everyone is so different and find out, find out what gives, makes you tick and find out what really, what'll get you to try that new thing. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times people don't try because they're afraid to fail, but they don't realize that not trying is already failure. 
Well, and you brought up affirmations earlier, and, and affirmations I'm a big believer in. Three years ago, a tornado came through Dallas and completely destroyed my office. And I'll never forget when I went to my office, I fully expecting to find it just fine, and it wasn't. And I'll never forget standing there, and I had actually gone there that day for to work. And I felt my suede boots, just I felt the water starting to soak in. And I was like, oh. And the first thing that came to mind was I will come back bigger and better and stronger. And that first week, I I must have said, Sheena, I said that affirmation probably 10 times a day. And there were days that I would be screaming that affirmation out. But But I did. So I think that, you know, however you coach yourself, uh, whatever works for you, affirmations is something that has really helped me. I agree. I love affirmations. I I really loved all of the Louise Hay books. Um, I think that that gave me a big opportunity to really understand the power of affirmations. And that, in a sense, affirmations make our brains happy. Uh, you know, because in that repetition, even if we're not really feeling what we're saying at the moment, if you practice it enough, if you say enough, enough, then eventually you start connecting to it because it almost feels like it's it's part of your life. You make it lifestyle, and so I I believe in affirmations. I love them very much. I find them to be very motivating and inspiring, as well. Well, I love Tony Robbins because he doesn't do affirmations. He does incarnations, but that you know that's his style. He is that's his intensity. And, and I found that, honestly, the louder that I said those affirmations, the more I believed them. And I'll tell people, don't yeah. whisper them to yourself. You know, D- don't just write it down. You've got to vocalize it. Because hearing those words come out of your own mouth, that carries weight. It sure does. And if you really, if you listen to just the word in itself, it's affirmation. It's to affirm. And so I agree with you. It's about say it out loud. Say it in a firm way, um, even if at the moment you're not believing. So if you're not feeling well and you're saying, I am whole, I am healed, and there's a part of your brain that's trying to uh, overwrite that and say, no, that's not true because you're feeling ill, because you're sick, or because you have a disease, um, it's about saying it in a very firm way, in a tone where you're affirming that it is done, that you are healed and that you are well. So I agree with you. Absolutely. You know, I think that the more we the more we live it, the more that we believe it and it becomes it just becomes our it, our default mode instead of that default mode being it's a catastrophe. You know, um, there were there were, I had so many default modes when I was coming out of that tornado but I did I came back bigger and better and stronger and to this day I still use that affirmation because it worked for me I love it such a powerful story so you know we've talked a lot about comfort zone and why people don't want to come out of their comfort zone let's give some people let's give them some reasons to come out of their comfort zone yeah, um, I think the, the first reason, and I think what should be the primary reason, is when something isn't working, meaning it's not serving you, then the biggest reason should be let's find what will 
what will work. Let's find another option, another solution. And so I, I strongly believe that we need to consider and come to a place where we accept that what's happening isn't working and that in itself trigger us, should push us, even if we're not comfortable in doing so. A lot of times what people think is that, well, in order for me to change what I'm doing, um, you know, if I'm not as afraid as I am, if I don't have the fear, then it will be easier. But what I say is do it even if you're afraid. Just do it. Because you can't wait to not be afraid to do something. Because if we did that, then we probably wouldn't do anything in life. So do it even when you're afraid. I like that. And, you know, I'll I'll tell people, think about how you can increase your productivity if you come out of your comfort zone and you can learn new skills. And yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. So I think that it's all about focusing on what the win is instead of what, and what am I going to have to give up? And you don't have to give up anything. You just have to, you just have to expand those boundaries. Just make them bigger. Yes, and habit, right? I think that everything is habit. Um, yeah. And the more we practice coming out of our comfort zone and the more we build on those habits, then they become innate and they become natural and just part of life. Well, and a lot of times, you know, people will say, we'll have several conversations. They're like, well, I, I just can't seem to get started. Okay, well, why don't you write, why don't you write a list of what your fears or your limitations are? Why don't you write that down, bring it back with you, and we'll talk about how we can use visualization to get you through those. Um, Or just do something that you don't usually do. When we went through the pandemic, people for a long time worked at home, and they forgot how to talk to their coworkers, the ones that they really didn't know that well. Oh my gosh, we had so much road rage in Texas when everybody got back on the the roads and were driving. And I honestly think that a lot of that was we we just forgot how to play nice. Yeah, habits play a huge role. When we do something and we do it often, it becomes habitual and we don't have to even think about it. And when we stop doing it, we forget how to do it. Absolutely. So do you find that people, once they get into the get the change, changing their comfort zone, starting to focus on their resilience, do you find that they enjoy the process? I think that because it's human nature, um, that we are creatures of habit, once you start forming that new habit, you do enjoy it. You, you realize that the results you're getting are different. And so that's going to ultimately make you feel different because you're going to lead to different experiences, different circumstances. So, yes, overall, I, I would say that it does. Uh, and I agree with you. I'm just finishing up my Ph.D. And in the beginning, I was not enjoying the process. <laughs> it was there was just so much to do. To do that, run the brain performance center, do it in your head, just a lot of things. But I found that as I noticed how things developed over time, instead of just focusing on the PhD, I just noticed on how, you know, what was changing. I've become a much better writer. And that's out of, out of, 
necessity. But, you know, I found that I could see such good things that came from it. And I have started to enjoy the process. But I really think that's what, and you talked about reframing. Once I decided I'm going to keep an open mind, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to embrace change. That is really kind of what helped me to flip the switch to enjoy the process. Oh, yeah, I I agree with you. It's that in that reframing is so important because it's really, you know, repackaging it, right? <laughs> it's changing the label, changing the meaning. And ultimately, it just changes the entire experience. Well, and it, and it doesn't change just you but it changes the people around you because they're benefiting from your positivity. And, and would you have more energy? Normally the people in your family, they'll pick up on that. Wow. You got a lot of energy today and maybe they'll walk away with a, a little bit more energy themselves. Yes. Yes. I agree. When, you know, a lot of times I, I tell, especially um, women and whom are mothers, and, you know, one of their main goals is always, you know, I just want my kids to be okay. I tell them, well, how about you be okay? You work on you. You take care of you. And vicariously, you're going to teach them. They're going to learn that, you know, to follow those habits, to, to follow what you're doing. And ultimately, they're going to be okay, too. So you're absolutely right. When you have a positive attitude, and your outlook on life is optimistic, you get to influence the people that you most love in your life, the people around you. And then everybody wins. And I love a win-win-win situation. I absolutely love that. And really, you know, we use the term reframing, and I've had people say, I don't really understand what that means. And all it means is you change how you react to the things going on around you. Instead of something happening and you deciding it was a disaster, it was terrible, you know, you changed the way you react and it certainly wasn't what I had hoped for. It certainly wasn't what I planned on, but it made me think about this and I hadn't thought about that before. So reframing is just changing how you interpret a situation. It certainly is. It's a, uh... It's really about looking at it from a different perspective, um, a different angle, looking for those silver linings that I think a lot of times we miss. I always say that from pretty much any situation, even the situations, you know, many years ago, I'll share with you, I met someone who, who really impacted my life. Um, just uh, in, in one simple conversation I had with her, she had um, experienced um, a, a health condition that came about because the person who she was in a relationship at the time had cheated on her and given her HIV. And, you know, she contracted the HIV virus, which, as you can imagine, it was a major disruption in her life. And she decided to make a decision. She said, well, I either, you know, I either decide to look at this and, you know, call myself a victim and live victimized by my circumstances, which are justifiable, um, and live in fear that I can die one day, um, and that can bring me stress and therefore lower my immune system and bring other complications, 
Or I can find the silver lining and see what I can do with this experience. And believe it or not, she opens up a nonprofit organization. It's quite a large nonprofit organization that supports and offers aid and all kinds of things to people who have HIV and AIDS. So she turned and reframed, that's really what she did, she reframed a situation and she decided to find the positive or, you know, what, what can she do with that? And she did something incredibly powerful and incredible. She's created incredible impact in other people's lives. Well, that's a great story. And I mean, she had, she had such a realistic attitude about it. You know, this is, this is what can happen. Or this is what cannot happen. You know, we've, you've shared so much good information with us today, and we've got about three minutes left. For those of our listeners that want to find you online, want to learn more about you and what you do, how do they do that? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, I love, I love giving as much value as I can via content. So I am on social media. You can find me on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Book, even on TikTok, where I offer tons and tons of content on coaching tips, what to do, what not to do. I talk a lot about mindset and positive psychology. And to find me is really simple. It's at Sheena Aismendiz. Um, and you can also come to my website, which is SheenaAismendiz.com. Excellent. because, And I think that book that you wrote is still on Amazon, is it not? It sure is. My book is on Amazon. It's called Path of Emergence from Loss to Triumph. So there's a lot of good information out there, and I encourage our listeners to to really to dip into it. And, you know, there's so much, there's so many different ways to come at it. And I wish, gosh, I wish we had more time because I would love to learn how you used NLP and with your mindset coaching. So there's certainly more to talk about. But I think my big takeaway from the show is it reinforces mine, but it, it's to believe in yourself and to believe that you can do it and be open to the change. Don't be afraid of it. You know, be open to it. Embrace it. Is there any thought you'd like to leave our listeners with? I would say... You know, I would say more than anything, remember that we are fallible and that one of the many reasons that we're here in this, in this planet, in this place, is to experience love and to practice more love. So definitely continue to work on that self-love and every opportunity that we have in sharing love with others. Don't miss out on those opportunities. That is a great thought to leave our listeners with, you know, self-love, self-care. That's that's where it all starts. And just in the last few seconds, I want to mention that in March, Sheena will be doing a mindset retreat in Puerto Rico. And there's information about that on her website. For those of you that are thinking it would be a great to reframe that mind in the spring, that's an opportunity for you. Sheena, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a joy uh, just having you and talking with you. Thank you, Lee. It is my pleasure. And I...
Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 